You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Our guest today is Oliver Altine. That's me. Normally, I'm the producer of the show, and I do these voice intro things that you're listening to right now. Um, And some of you may know that I also do all the music for the show, um, and a whole lot of music in the rest of my life, too. So, you know, this is just a really fun opportunity for me to talk about my favorite thing in the world, which is music. Uh, So I hope you listen, I hope you enjoy it, and here we go. All right. Well, here we are. Good evening, Satch Oh, Purcell. good evening, Carlos. Uh, this one feels really close to home, really close to my heart, this this uh, this particular episode. Um, you want to ask me why? Why is that, Satch? Because you know the person we're about to interview. I do? Yeah, you know him very, 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 very well. In fact, you guys used to be neighbors. Did you know that? We might have even been practically <laughs> roommates almost. Yeah, yeah, like seriously close roomies. And um, the interesting thing about this guest tonight is he is an amazing musician. Truly. In fact, um, he's my favorite musician. Mm. And uh, this particular fellow um, was somebody that we both knew when he was mastering his art, his craft. True. He was going through that process, and I think that's pretty, pretty, pretty darn cool. So uh, who do we have here tonight? We've got Mr. Oliver Altine. Our very own producer, editor. Sound engineer, musician extraordinaire. Welcome mm-hmm. to the show, Oliver. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Yeah. Now, since we're interviewing you, our sound engineer, our editor, um, is it a conflict of interest that you're going to edit your own episode? I'm going to make myself sound brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I had a feeling that you know, yeah. you'd be... Well, you've made yourself sound brilliant for years now, so I think that's going to work out well. He's quite yeah. brilliant at it. Yeah, he is quite quite brilliant at it. Um, well, this is so cool because he's here every single time, but we don't always hear from him, or at least the audience doesn't hear from him, so we get a chance to pick his brain and yeah. hopefully we won't bleed too much when we do. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. But I was actually here last week uh, interviewing Lonzo Luconi. Um, yeah, that's right. So, so uh, we had you um, uh, speaking you know, to Lonzo because we wanted another musician, right? Have a couple of musicians, uh, you know, shooting the breeze on the right. show. Um, but now uh, you are the musician on the show, and you know what's really cool, Carlos, is um, this show didn't really come together until Oliver got involved. Yeah, and suddenly, because you and I had talked about it, and and you know, we weren't really sure the how rubber to hit going. the road. Yeah, when, when uh, Oliver came into the picture, it really got traction. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, it was sort of like when when Ringo finally joined the Beatles, they took off. You know, I'm not calling you Ringo, but you know, but that's not a bad thing. I got a lot of respect for Ringo. Uh, so do I. So do I. Um, but uh, uh, what I love about having Oliver as our our sound engineer is. We've all known each other for so long, 
that he gets us. And so sometimes I think he knows what we're trying to say and he can bring out that magic. Yeah, maybe and even just, better than we do sometimes. Yeah, maybe better than we do. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what I was thinking. So, Yeah, you know, you really get to know somebody pretty intimately when you listen to them speak, you know, for hours and hours going back over it and, you know, picking the gems out of the jumble of words. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what's yeah. that like having our gems inside of your mind? <laughs> <laughs> beautiful <laughs> sparkly nice yeah it's nice. like i present you but better <laughs> yeah that's right that's right carlos and satch version 2.0 yeah. yeah carlos and satch with makeup on that's right. what he does he puts makeup on our words he does yeah. auditory makeup he shines yeah. the audio file right so it sparkles beautiful beautiful <laughs> yeah um so oliver yes sir we're gonna be talking about creativity tonight all right right because it's it's health creativity and the quest for excellence and uh you are all three of those things but specifically tonight creativity because you are a musician um could you get into uh how you became a musician and like how you fell in love with this stuff yeah well first of all i grew up in a musical family right my parents were both musicians my mom was a wonderful flute player singer and a piano player and my dad was a banjo player so a little bit different there, but there was always music, always instruments laying around, and just from the youngest age, I was always playing. You know, I took piano lessons, I learned some ukulele, I played a little saxophone, banjo here and there. Um, so music was just sort of a part of the water that I was swimming in. Uh, but there was one particular moment, I think I was in, I don't know, seventh or eighth grade, and it was when I heard Led Zeppelin for the first time. Mm. And that was it man it was like electricity through my body like I, I was already taking guitar lessons right you know i was learning basic you know folk guitar chords and strumming but when i heard led zeppelin for the first time it was like the quickening you know that scene from highlander yes, it was like the something just woke up inside of me and i was actually i actually confronted my parents i was angry with my parents because they hadn't introduced me to this earlier wow i was like you know you 12, felt betrayed. 12 years I've been alive. You don't think you could have mentioned Led Zeppelin? <laughs> right. You know, I mean, it was it was just like, wow. I mean, my dad was a Doors fan, you know, and I love the Doors, okay. Love the Doors. But yeah. as far as that electrifying guitar work, I mean, mm, Jimmy yeah. Page just like yeah. nailed me to the wall with that stuff, man. Mm, wow. And so all I wanted to do was sit in my room and learn every Jimmy Page lick I could get my hands on. You yeah. Know? Well, you told me a, a funny story once on a run. You had said that you wanted to um, learn that one really beautiful Led Zeppelin song, and you worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. You finally got it down, and then realized that they did what? Yeah, uh, I think you're talking about the Rain song. I think so. Yeah, and yeah. I learned it in standard tuning, but it turns out he was in a different tuning, which made it a lot easier to play. Yeah, <laughs> so you <laughs> learned it the hard way. To this day, right. I play that song in standard tuning, which is oh, wow. you know, that's it's, cool. It's, it's it's that's just how I learned it. So. <laughs> Hmm. that's funny but yeah but yeah jimmy page just a composer you know he was a rocker and you know a crazy crazy guy but really also a composer you know hmm. and you can really especially in the middle period led zeppelin is my favorite from the fourth album through uh houses of the holy and physical graffiti i don't hmm. know how many zeppelin fans there are out there hopefully people still listen to this music but yeah there's a real composer at work there Wow, wow, that's cool. Would you say that your your passion for music uh, ramped up at that time? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's when I started practicing for hours a day and really caring about, you know, the little details of the technique of playing. Um, and my, my teacher at the time, whose name was Adam Speth. Adam, if you're listening, thank you for all the years of lessons. Yes, you know, he, he thanks, noted, Adam. Yeah, he, awesome. He noticed yeah. it. From all of us. And, you know, yeah, it just... And pretty soon thereafter, well, a few years later, when I got my first band together, my high school band, we played pretty much half Zeppelin songs and half Black Sabbath songs. Oh, cool. And that was <laughs> a couple other things here and there, but pretty much Zeppelin and Sabbath, yeah. Wow, that'd be an awesome set. The yeah. the band was the Lumberjacks, by the way, my high school oh, band. Oh, the Lumberjacks! Wow. Yeah. So so that was your first high school band, yeah. And like, did you like go do gigs and all that? Yeah, yeah. We played at parties, um, you know, on a regular basis on the weekends. Mm-hmm. You know, rock the house until the cops came. You know, mm-hmm. we actually played at school a few times in the quad at lunchtime, oh. which was really fun. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you know, we graduated. And <laughs> yeah. Everyone moved moved away and did their own thing after that. Hmm. Now, did you always know that you were going to study guitar formally, or was that that happened later? Well, when I first went to college, I went to Alaska at UAF, the University of Alaska Fairbanks, and I was, I think I was a forestry major or environmental sciences or something like that. You know, and after a year or so, it just became obvious that I was not going to get through college studying anything besides music you know (laughs) i stopped going to class and i dropped out and then once i um moved home to california and became a music major you know that's when i got my ass out of bed and went to class and studied and Mm. started to do well aren't you skipping a step didn't your cabin burn down (laughs) yes that's a story (laughs) there was a conflagration i was living in this cabin in the woods outside of town outside of fairbanks alaska um and yeah i i was I was out and about and came home one night, uh, four or five in the morning, and cabin was no longer there. Hmm. <laughs> Smoldering cinders only? Yeah. Wow, that's wild. And now, um, did that um, you know, loss of your home force you to move back and then actually enroll in school and become a musician? So you do know, we have a fire to thank? Kind for, of, yeah. yeah. You know, I never mm. thought about that before, but mm. yeah, I probably would have stayed up there if my house hadn't burned down. Yeah. You know, there we go. Talk about lessons from nature. Right. Nature knew that Oliver's nature was to study music, and so mm. it sort of gave you a kick, kick out of Alaska. Yeah, you know, and you losing, were fired. Losing, yeah. everything, <laughs> Alaska. losing everything I owned was actually a pretty liberating experience, was to tell really? you the truth. Wow. Yeah, wow. I mean, I lost everything except the clothes I was wearing. Wow. Did you have any? Did you have a guitar burned down in there? Or yeah, I, I did. Yeah. I had a guitar. I lost my guitar. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Um, but, you know, there's, there's lots of guitars in the world. That's true. <laughs> That's true. You know, every time you come over and you pick up my guitar, I feel joyous because I feel like my guitar gets to really be a guitar. You yeah. know, it gets to find out, oh, this is how I'm supposed to sound. Right. Yeah, Not yeah. when this schmo picks it up and, you know, this other guy. <laughs> I'm, here, I'm like your yeah. guitar's uncle. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, you know, the kids always like their uncle better than the parents <laughs> to, in certain for certain things. And my guitar definitely likes you better than it likes me. Right. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Could, could you just remind me, uh, how did you and Carlos meet again? I uh, came to the Eldon compound for Qigong class. Okay. Okay, and that was it. Wow. Oh, yeah, that was just a couple months before I moved in. That's right. Yeah, it, it cleared out, and I thought, oh man, this would be fantastic to have Oliver in there. And he moved in, and we had a lot of fun there. Yeah, we did a lot of fun parties. That was and, a magical and really place. Really great. Yeah, 
Magic and Wonder and lots of music. I, one of the things I, that's a, a really fond memory that I go back to quite a lot is um, listening to you practice and listening to albums with you. Those two things. Yeah, we would have at least once a week a, a night where we would just lay on the ground and put on music and just absorb it. You know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we're, we're like that. That is the, the entertainment is just listening to that album really succinctly, just, just focusing. And yeah, I really, really like that a lot. Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's, not, it's something that not everybody does. I realized at a certain point that not everybody will just put on an album and just listen to it. You know, mm-hmm. people tend to want to talk through the music and stuff. Right. Put it on as background right. rather than actively mm-hmm. paying attention. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've always enjoyed actively listening to a song, you know, yeah. um, uh, to the point where sometimes I'll get really irritated if somebody won't listen to it with me, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. Um, well, you know, you you get used to it. Over yeah, time. yeah. Well, the varieties of things that you would practice were really fun to listen to as well. I mean, I remember when you were uh, doing a lot of John Doland and yeah, John Doland. Bringing yeah. out the lute and then doing it on guitar and then right. some of the Bach pieces that you did and, um, yeah. you know, just various composers. I uh, really like that um, because I grew up with uh, my mother's piano playing. And, right. and so you know, I was very used to that idea that, that um, people practicing their scales could be relaxing, right. meditative, yeah. and calming. And I really liked that. So it was nice. Uh, it, we had that kind of <clears throat> sort of unspoken understanding at the compound that you could, you know, it wasn't like you had to worry about keeping someone else up. You know, right. you just kind of play music, do your thing. It was very relaxed. And, you know, I don't think I ever kept you up, but you never really kept me up. It was just uh, easy going. It didn't matter what hour. You could be up sometimes till three thirty, four in the morning sometimes. Yeah, Because uh, sure. you've been, you know, having some beers and just wanted to play. And I, and I was just really nice, very soothing. Um, never, ever felt disturbed by that. It was just always a great thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and when when my neighbors um, make noise, I love it because yeah. I I see it as a license for me to make my own noise. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, totally. it's great. When my neighbors are really quiet, that's when I get nervous. Exactly. You know? like, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Should I be worried here? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that was very good. So um, you studied classical guitar, right? That, right. That was yeah. that was your formal training. Yeah. At a certain point, I you know buckled down and. Studied classical for real. Yeah. Got my master's degree in classical guitar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, wow. Um, and do you still play classical? No, not really. I don't really play much these days. Mm, okay. Um, partly because my right hand stopped working correctly. You know, I, I had, remember years ago, yeah. uh, you and I talking about that. I think I did a little acupuncture for you. You did a lot. Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, you tried your best, but it just, you know, it just... I don't know. I, yeah, I remember your thumb would always drift towards your palm, and it was getting in the way. Yeah, it was right after I graduated, and, you know, I don't know. Maybe it was nature's way of telling me to move on. If I hadn't stopped playing classical, I wouldn't have branched out into so many other things, you know? Yeah. Classical is a is a is sort of like a deep gravity well. It really keeps you in its, you know, in its orbit. Mm. Uh, one of the reasons for that is that in order to continue to, you know, play at a high level, you got to practice a lot. you got to stick with it. You know, you get real rusty really fast as a classical musician if you don't practice. So when I stopped doing a lot of classical guitar, I still wanted to play guitar. So I just kept on playing with a pick. I played rock, and I started learning jazz. Never played jazz before then, but that's when I learned jazz. But I also wanted to keep doing the classical thing because there's a certain trance to classical music. You know, it's that sort of academic thing, but 
it's serious but also very rewarding you know and that's when i started playing the cello mm. so nice. the classical guitar split off into jazz guitar and cello neat hmm. yeah, yeah. gosh I'm, I'm seeing a trend so nature burned down your cabin to force <laughs> you to study guitar seriously and then once you got that formal training the nature of your body said we can't be playing like this anymore because there's other stuff that we have to make we have let's, to create let's burn that little tendon yeah <laughs> right but right. you know and there's, there's so much that i get even though i don't play a lot of classical um guitar anymore there's so much that i got from my studies that i absolutely still use you know just yeah. the knowledge of music and the work ethic that you get from studying classical mm. and you know and just kind of an approach and a patience and all, all kinds of lessons that i learned from that mm, very nice wow yeah. i also learned how to teach from that because huh. I had, a, I had a, every week I had an hour-long guitar lesson, you know, from a master. And if you have the right mindset, a guitar lesson is also a lesson in how to teach. You know, hmm, if yeah, you pay true. attention because there's somebody teaching right in front of you. And if, mm -hmm. you, if you pick up on that, or you can also learn how not to teach, <laughs> depending on your yeah, teacher. Yeah, yeah. That could be good teaching and learning either way. Good yeah. teacher, bad teacher. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, so, uh, you know, you've, you've been in different bands and things, and I know that you've done a lot of jazz and you've done some blues and, uh, and we have, obviously we knew that you were part of the lumberjacks right? Right. that yeah. was, that was huge. Right. Yeah. Um, but, um, what, 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 uh, what do you love? I mean, did, did you have one thing that you really love with guitar or, um, do you just love diversity? I think really what I love is the language of music and how powerful it is. And, it, you know, guitar is the instrument that I play. I mean, I play a lot of instruments, but it's my main mm -hmm. instrument. Um, but it, it could have been something else. If I hadn't heard Zeppelin, I would have heard something else. You know, and it's, it's just it's the, the, the drive to communicate, the drive to express myself. And the language of music is, is my language of choice for creative expression. Mm. Very nice. You've wow. done some really um, unique, I would say, fringe stuff too. I mean, uh, when I think about you doing the the Gnostic, the, the collects uh, for the mass for the Gnostic, uh, for the Gnostic mass. mass, yeah, I did do um, a musical version of that, yeah. And you know, you composed the music for the ship, the ship, the play, the, the mystery play, play by Alistair Crowley. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember coming that. up to LA and watching that. And you played many times, uh, you know, for various uh, ritual and. Uh, ceremonies through the years, uh, yeah. whether they be pagan outdoor rituals or, sure. or uh, uh, thelemic kinds of ceremonies. It's hard to think of a situation that isn't improved by music. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and so usually I find myself in the situation of being the guy that's going to make the music happen. That's just my role in life. You know, that's who I am. So I, I try to make it happen, you know, as appropriately and authentically as i can mm. nice yeah you're right that's a good point there aren't very many situations where music doesn't make it better that's true wow except except playing cello when you're in the when you're in the ocean because that, that that could make you <laughs> but it might help you float scary. you never know yeah yeah you know i'm just thinking second of is a flotation device yeah. yeah that's true that's true or, you know you could get a fiberglass cello actually you know what mm -hmm. they make ukuleles that you can play at the beach and get wet they're not wood they're made out of oh, i great. think fiberglass or something Oh, with wow. like rubber strings and actually they sound pretty good cool yeah i guess you can't play a harmonica underwater there's just well. no end to human ingenuity you yeah. can't play a harmonica underwater hmm. yeah. okay i'm gonna start working on that yeah. 
Sorry, that's that's me playing a harmonic underwater. <laughs> Very good. Um, wow. Uh, well, you know, you have made some albums. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your first album that you made? The first album that I made. Okay. The first album that I actually made. That's you can't get it. It's not available. We never oh, okay. released it. Uh, I was in a band called the Hydro Spanners. Ooh, which what is, is a, what does that mean? A cool name. It's a it's a Star Wars reference. Oh, Han okay. is fixing the Falcon, and he calls to Chewie. He says, "Bring me the hydro spanner." It's some <laughs> oh, kind of cool. wrench that Han uses. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think we're probably best described as college rock. Okay. College rock. Um, right. And we made an album. One of these days, I'll put it up on iTunes, just so you know. Okay. All my raving fans can check it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Be careful; they might buy them all if you. You know. uh, it was it was very sort of noisy and lo-fi. We were sort of Sonic Youth inspired a little bit, you know. Mm, okay, just, just kind of jangly and noisy, mm-hmm. you know, music. Yeah, all right. Um, but I the the earliest album that I made that's actually available on iTunes and Amazon and all that stuff was the first album from my band Dry River, and that's just a duo album, just me and my buddy Dave Forrest uh, on harmonica. And we just played it, just guitar and harmonica with me singing. Hmm. Single microphone, just recorded it. Some of it recorded in, in my bathroom, I think. Hmm. And some just in the living room. Wow. So, so it's a simple recording. Yeah, it was very simple. Hmm. It was before I was a producer. Ah, <laughs> yes. In fact, that yes. was the first thing that made me think. I said, hmm, after we made that, I thought, you know what? I could probably learn a little bit more about this, and the next album is going to be better. Wow, wow. That's always the thing. The next one's going to be better. Yeah. So Dry River. Dry River, yeah, you yeah. can look that up. Yeah, yeah. Um, is this this is the Praying for the Rain album? Dry no, the first album was called Lost in the World. Oh, Lost in the World. Okay. And it's just an acoustic duo album. Okay. Um, and then a few years ago, we have another album called Praying for the Rain with a with a bass player and a drummer, so it's right. more of an electric album. Okay. So Oliver, uh, could you share a little bit about like your process of you know how, how are these songs um, how do they become inspired through you? How do they move through you? Um, well, most of my songs are autobiographical to some extent. Um, when I write a song, uh, like the Dry River songs, if, to me it starts with the lyrics. Because if a song has words, then the words are primary. You know what I mean? Mm. It takes me a long time to write a song because I really want it to be authentic. You know what I mean? I'm not just singing some random words. I've, I've, I've got to mean it. I've got to embody the song. And it's got to come from an authentic place. Otherwise, it's not really worth singing for me. Mm. Um, I can think of one song. Actually, the first song on the Praying for the Rain album was called Lift This Stone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was in a situation where I had just too much shit to do. I was feeling overly burdened. Too many things to do. I I couldn't do it all well, you know what I mean? And I just, I felt like there was a stone on top of my chest, you know what I mean? Mm. And I remember I was out there mowing the lawn kind of grumpy. I was like, I got to mow the lawn, all these other things I got to do. And I just started, started thinking about, man, I got to lift this stone. I got to lift this stone off of my heart. And I just started singing that to myself. You know, when you're mowing the lawn, there's mm-hmm. all this noise going on. And so you can be kind of loud. You're in this sort of noise bubble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I don't know if the neighbors were hearing me or whatever, but I just started singing, got to lift this stone. Gotta lift this stone right off of my heart. You know, and Mm. after I finished mowing the lawn, I went in and grabbed my guitar and wrote the song. 
I think we need to hear the song. Yeah, right let's now. hear that. All right, let's listen to it. Let's mow that lawn. All right, you ready? <laughs>
Gotta lift this stone Gotta lift this stone right off of my heart Yeah. I'm crying like a tornado and the tears are running down to my shoes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Tell me about the style of blues that was. It, it sounds older, like, 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 I don't know, 30s, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's sort of modeled after like a Skip James. You know, Skip James, the great blues man from, I guess, the 30s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's the style where you sing the same melody that you're playing, you know? So, I yeah. noticed that. Yeah, so, yeah like, like, like each note you were singing, you were plucking on the guitar. Yeah, so I'm playing the same melody that I'm singing. Yeah, I modeled it after like Skip James. And, you know, there's all these different styles. Actually, my harmonica player here, whose name is Dave Forrest, by the way, great harmonica player and a good friend, um, he's kind of like the expert in all these different subgenres of old blues. You know, there's country blues and folk blues and Piedmont blues and... You know, I don't know exactly which style it is. I just know it sounds like Skip James. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty awesome. cool. Very, yeah. very cool. Wow. So, Oliver, uh, there's been a handful of times I've seen you play at, you know, gatherings, parties, whatever. And there is a particular song that you sing that's on this album that um, I always get a kick out of. And that is the song Tryin'. Oh, uh, yes. And uh, I, when I heard you play that, I thought... Wow, I wonder who, who who wrote that song. And then I found out you wrote this song. This is your song. Yeah. And it's on your album. So um what is what's the idea behind this this awesome song that I love? Well, you know, you're not the only one that I think everyone can relate to this song. Oh, totally. It's totally it's the idea, you know, the line is maybe I'm an asshole, but at least I'm trying. <laughs> and you know, I feel like that all the time. <laughs> you know, I'm doing my best. I don't always succeed, but you know, like you know, like like most of us, we're trying. Nice. And we're human when nice. we, we mess up sometimes, but you know. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's just life, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's a great theme. Yeah, it really is, you know. Um, so let's give it a listen. Anything um, you want to say about this song before we listen? Anything about, about you know, how it was written? Or is there a story behind this one? Or, or just or the style of the song? It's, it's just a straightforward rock blues, you know, um, with another great harmonica solo by Dave Forrest. Mm, okay. Yeah. All right, let's give it a go. Here we go. Well, I'm always alone, even with my lover by my side. And I'm aching in my bones with a loneliness that I just can't hide. Well, I just got to get away from all this loneliness and pain.
Features Ruben Ordiano on drums and Joel Helene on bass. Very cool. You know, uh, this album being being a blues album for the most part, right? Seems very practical. You know, I, I, I and and it it's strikingly different from the other stuff that you do. Yeah, it is. You know, it's like I, I'm I'm always amazed that like you do this album and then um, uh, I know that that not long ago you also made an album that was uh, uh, electronic music, right? Uh, digital music mm-hmm. um and uh it's so different from this what we just heard yeah it really um is. <laughs> so you know how did that even come about uh so you're talking about obsidian kite yeah yeah right? obsidian kite and what does that even mean obsidian kite What's, oh this is i got this from a poem by my friend scott zydell um he was describing a bird circling like an obsidian kite and he read this poem at a party and i was like scott i'm gonna make an album and I'm going to use that line, Obsidian Kite, and I did. <laughs> wow. It took me a few years. Wow. But yeah, it's just like a, you know, I got into these the software. I used a, a program called Ableton Live. Um, I was using it for some live stuff I was doing with my jazz band at the time, looping, that kind of electronic stuff. And I just saw that I was like, well, I could just take these things and put them together and just create something with it. Um, and so it was just kind of like a little musical diary that I put together. Hmm. The ideas okay. I had and just made it. Yeah, it was a fun project. Yeah, it's pre- it it pretty different from other things that you had done, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. to me, it sounds like it. You know, it's different than what I'd done before that. Yeah, hmm. but I, you know, I had always had these ideas floating around in my head. You know, I mean, you know, I like electronic music. I like all kinds of music. Yeah, and so it's just, it's just something fun. It was cool. Yeah, very it's nice. exciting though that you do so many things because you know you never know what's going to come next. Right, <laughs> you know, and and I like that. Um, yeah. There's a there's a diversity to the different uh, types of music that you play, and so I know that you know on into the future there's going to be all sorts of twists and turns. That makes it exciting. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I I have no idea what I'm going to do next. Yeah, maybe it'll be a, a rock opera. <laughs> maybe maybe it will. The theme music for this very podcast, The Authenticity Show, was written by you and is on this album. That's right. It's yeah. called Wedding Bells for the Dead. Yeah, and that is such an awesome name. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Wedding Bells for the Dead. Thank you. Yeah, that's oh, actually man. one of the few songs on that album that actually has live guitar on it. Um, most of the song, most of the stuff on there is just purely electronic. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like backwards guitar. 
I mean, is it? Yeah, there's some. Yeah, there's okay. a reverse function that you can do where you play something and then it, you know, flip it and it plays backwards. Uh-huh. Okay. Which is just always fun, you know. Yeah. Very I, trippy. I try not to overuse that because it's it's just fun. I'm sure it's tempting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very, um, very cool. And so the title for the song came about. Uh, you know, um, I always thought that weddings and funerals occupied sort of a similar space uh, in our society. Mm-hmm. They're sort of similar this, in a way. The solemnness there. Yeah. Sacredness there. And you dress up yeah. a little bit, you know, you have about this sort of maybe the same amount of people. I don't know. Yeah. I guess depending on how many people liked you when you were alive. Yeah, right. But so I'm sort of juxtaposing those. I've got some forward stuff and some backwards guitar, like you were saying, kind of juxtaposed together at the same time. And so I, I just thought wedding, funeral, kind of both sides at the same time, wedding bells for the dead. And it, it just came to me. I thought it was such an evocative title. Hmm. But, uh, you've got a song on obsidian kite that the, the title intrigues me and i don't know if i'm pronouncing this right prelude and fuge for the dwarf inside oh prelude and fugue for the dwarf inside yeah yeah okay yeah so this is um a piece i actually wrote when i was in college um a composition that you know, i turned in for an assignment in composition class uh that turned out pretty well it's an atonal prelude and fugue Okay, what does that mean in atonal? What's... Uh, well, atonal means it doesn't have a key that it's in. No, no note is any more important oh, than any other note. Oh, I see. Without tone. Right. This okay. is this kind of harmonic revolution that Arnold Schoenberg brought about right around the turn of the century, the turn of last century. Hmm. Um, wow. Where you know it was kind of the culmination of this harmonic progression leading from you know Bach all the way through Beethoven and Mahler and Wagner, and then Schoenberg kind of blew everything wide open. And so, you know, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants here writing my little piece. <laughs> but uh, if you listen to it, it's got a very distinct um, sort of angular musical language. Hmm. Um, but I wrote it in the style of Bach. Prelude and Fugue is like an, it's a Baroque form, you know, so it's sort of like early 20th century wine in mid-18th century bottles. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great analogy. Well, I think but we, it's just a little, it's a, just a small bottle of wine. It's not like a full bottle. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe we'll just have a sip of it. Well, okay. Yeah. Let's give it a listen. All okay. Right.
So, Ollie, there was a pretty significant album that you did uh, after this, right? And it was a jazz album that you did with uh, Danny Hoffman and a few others. Right, yeah. Um, and I've seen you perform that live uh, several times. Yep. Um, let's talk about that. All right, yeah. So the band was called Redshift. And I'm not in that band anymore, but they're still going. They play in uh, Southern California all over the place. But yeah, um, some of the songs on here are mine. Some are Danny's. Um, there's a couple of songs by our bass player, Martin Torres. Um, and the drummer was Ray Glider. Yeah, Redshift was a fun project. You know, it was sort of a jazz thing, but, you know, brought some of my rock chops to it, too. You know, playing some bluesy licks and stuff in... You know, jazz these days is so wide open. You know, um, it doesn't have to be just that traditional, like, saxophone, you know, kind of a sound. You, you can get all kinds of things and still call it jazz. Got a little waka 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 in there, too. Yeah, a little wah-wah pedal there. <laughs> Seamus likes that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, well, I, I enjoyed that album. I, I listened to it oh, know, yeah. quite well, a bit. And uh, Like Carlos, I saw you perform a couple times, you know, yeah, doing that. And uh, those those were good times. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed those a lot. And and then eventually I decided to leave the band, um, not because I didn't love playing with them, but just because I was kind of like that lift this stone thing. I, I was just had too much on my plate once again, you know. I was just spread too thin. Yeah. And this is mm. a problem I have because I have so many interests. There's so many things I want to do. But, you know... If you're spread too thin, then you just can't do anything well. So you know. Yeah, but I admire that you um, you made a tough choice um, and you honored uh, you know this this uh, creative urge, this inspiration that you had to to create other types of music, and you totally went with it. I mean, you didn't you didn't just quit. You like you know you you uh, uh, took the step into a whole new thing that you were doing, and you really did it. Like you you just kept going, and, and I, I like that. You, you make decisions like that, you, you go for it, and you follow through, and you really produce stuff you know, in the physical world. And I think you're such a magician in that sense. you know, Manifesting my reality. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah. Making things come to life, you know? Yeah, well, thanks. It's very I, admirable. I, yeah. I, I do my best. Yeah. I'm, at least I'm fucking trying. Yeah, at least yeah, you're fucking you know? trying. <laughs> yeah. Um, it would be fun to listen to... Um, to a favorite, maybe one, one that you composed. Uh, could we listen to you know something out of that the Redshift album? That I remember, my, my I have a favorite song on that album, and that is um, "Angels on the Battlefield." Okay, oh, yeah. it's a beautiful, it's a great song. One. I love that. Yeah, Thank I love you. that song. Yeah. What was the inspiration for that "Angels in the Battlefield" song? You know, I was thinking about. I think I was watching Game of Thrones at the time. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about like the morning after a huge battle and there's this like mist kind of settling in overall, like the dead bodies and the gore. And I sort of had this vision that the mist was sort of like angels sort of sweeping in to take the souls, you know, to wherever they were going to take them to. Um, it was just this kind of image I had in my mind. I thought it was really poetic, you know. Mm. So I just, so the music is supposed to be like, you know, after the battle and things are sort of still but somber, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was the mood for that. Nice. Wow, neat. Nice.
So then after Redshift, you did another album. Yes. My most recent album is called Dark Light. And this was, uh, the, the album cover was illustrated by uh, someone else we interviewed, uh, Amy Hay. Sorry. Amy Hay, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's gorgeous artwork. She's yeah. she's she's great. She does great work. Amy's Amy's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And listeners of this podcast will have heard many of the songs on this album, um, because you know, as you know, I do the music for the show. I put little snippets of songs in the intersegmental things, you know. And I think every song on this album, Dark Light, has appeared in some form or another um, on the Authenticity mm. Show. <laughs> so. Um, how much of the show influenced the songs in the album versus them just coming out of your own life? Uh, there was one song on the album that I wrote specifically for an episode. It was an episode called Sacred Deceptions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the song on the album is called Sacred Deceptions. So for the show, I, I wrote this like 30-second little thing and just kind of threw it in there. And then I fleshed it out a little bit more for the album. Hmm, you finished it up. Wow. I particularly remember like a like a Tibetan bell singing bowl in there. Is that what that was? Or Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually two Tibetan singing bowls. Ah, very are, cool. That are a major second apart from each other, so it's kind of this dissonant harmony that they create together. Yeah. Very cool. And with some amazing flute playing by Danny Hoffman. Oh yeah. Danny Hoffman who was yeah. in Redshift uh, and who still is in Redshift, by the way. Mm. And Danny is quite the flute player. He'll tell you he still needs to practice. You know, he's very self-deprecating about his flute playing. You know, he's he's more of a sax player, I guess, than a flute player. But man, nobody plays flute like this guy. Yeah. I mean, seriously. <laughs> That's it's true. Really good. That's totally he's, true. He's really good. I mean, oh he's God. he's really got a unique sound. And so he came over and I told him, I said, I want all those weird sounds, all those breathy things and all those fluttery things you do. And, you know, I just, I got what I wanted out of him. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, who was that uh, tabla player? That's what I want to know. Oh, this is a very famous tabla player from India. No, just kidding. It's you, Zach. Yeah, it's me. <laughs> yeah. So all the real tabla players out there will notice that um, uh, uh, it's not bad for a white dude. Yeah, yeah, not bad for white. Well, I just think it's hilarious that we 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 went in to listen to the song and and uh, forgot um, until we started hearing the tabla playing that that it's Satch. He's <laughs> yeah, right I there. We should have mentioned that. I, I seriously forgot yeah. that, that was I was on that song. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's yeah. hilariously self-deprecating. Well, yeah. Satch, you're the only tabla player I know. Yeah. So until yeah. I find you know a better one, you're my tabla player. All right. Hey, that's, <laughs> and I'm, as long as you're I'm, not self-defecating, we're all good. That's good. Right. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm fully. We'll in. still hang with you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sounds sounds good to me. Um, but but that was fun, you know. Uh, I remember uh, being all excited about coming over and just you know doing some stuff like that with you. So yeah, yeah, this is very yeah, cool. We recorded this uh, in my garage. I remember, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. we recorded this in your garage. The whole album was recorded in my garage, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Now that was um, it, it's had a very Indian sound. Of course, that's why you know the tablas are in there, but. Um, that was a banjo, wasn't it? That's the, you know, it's yeah. not like a sitar or anything. <laughs> no, there's. I, I don't own a sitar, but I wanted that kind of sound. You know, it, the banjo's not exactly like a sitar, but there are some similarities in timbre. You know, yeah. Uh, and so uh, that's my, you know, poor man's sitar was my banjo that yeah. day. <laughs> hey, and it's also uh, a tribute to your father. Yeah, uh-huh. and I actually played it on my dad's banjo. Oh, really? That was your dad's banjo? Yeah, oh, my dad very special. passed wow. away uh, five or six years ago. And, yeah. Uh, he, in fact, it's a funny story. I wanted it. He had, he had a really nice banjo, this banjo. It's, an, it's a custom-made Stelling banjo. Um, nice banjo. And I always wanted to play it. And he was like, kid, you can have my banjo when I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> this is my dad's personality. And so, he, you know, I wanted the banjo. He, I'm like, Dad, you're not playing it that much. Just let me have the banjo. You can have it when I'm dead, kid. <laughs> so yeah, I have it now. So you were always a kid, right? <laughs> yeah, he always called me kid. Kept you, kept you as a kid. Yeah. He triumphed. Yeah. Well, yeah. very nice. Wow. And he lives on. That's great. So Oliver, what, what, what was your um, your creative process or mindset um, about making this album Dark Light? This album started with a single idea and sort of blossomed from there. Okay, so I was at the gym. I was at 24-hour fitness on the rowing machine. And, you know, when you're on the rowing machine, you get into this rhythm. I don't don't know about you, but I get into this sort of rhythmic trance when I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. And I just started feeling this rhythm, and this melody came to me, this simple three-note melody. Um, That's actually the the very first thing on the album. The song is called Mindlessness. And it just sort of appeared as as I was working out. And then when I got done at the gym, I went out to my car and I just sort of sang this into my phone so I wouldn't forget it, you know. And it was just this kind of spooky, dark kind of a feeling. And that was it. And the, the rest of the album was just expanding on that feeling. So it's sort of like a mood album, you know. Wow. L- let's hear that piece. Yeah, yeah.
So when you repeatedly hit that do-do-do, what's all that about? Uh, that's mindlessness. Mm. That's the main melody, mm. mindlessness. And so there are words. Uh, in fact, a lot of my uh, instrumental songs actually have words to them. Um, but I don't put the words in the finished product. The words are just a means to an end to, to write the song. Hmm. Huh. Um, there, there's a syntax to a melody, you know, there's a grammar to it. And my way of ensuring that a melody is good is by having lyrics to it. The lyrics hmm. instill a certain rhythm and kind of pacing to it. Um, and then once I have the melody written, I don't need the lyrics anymore. It's like a structure or a mold. It's the, it's the lost wax method of music. Right, yeah. It's or, or like a <laughs> scaffolding, I guess you could yeah. say. Hmm. Nice. Um, can you talk about the name of the album? Dark Light. Actually, you know, the originally the name of the album was going to be Mindlessness because that was the original idea for, 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 the, for the song and for the album. Um, it sounds more like a grunge punk band, though mindlessness yeah. yeah i was noticing when i told people that the album was going to be called mindlessness they'd be like huh okay yeah and it didn't have that was one of the those. effect of my original kind of intent yeah. and then so um one of the other songs dark light um i thought that that title sort of captured the mood of the album a little bit better yeah i love the irony in that too dark you know, light. It, yeah it, it, it's reminiscent of um remember uh, the other was it a trio that you were in uh, outside in the jazz trio? Yeah, uh-huh, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, good, that's a jazz trio. Outside in, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Inside out was already taken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, outside in. Outside in's way cooler. Yeah, that's and there's that juxtaposition thing again that I like so much. Wedding bells for the dead. Yeah. Dark mm-hmm. light. You know, I like these layers and juxtapositions. Yeah, yeah. Expansive Universe is a really long song, and I remember you, as you were working on it um, at the house, um, I just enjoyed the uh the atmosphere that you created with that and all the layers that you put in over time it was, it's 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 long but it just feels so worth listening to because of where it takes you what i loved about it is how long it is and how you kept it together that whole time and how you built so gradually uh, into what it ultimately ends up crescendoing into you know that kind of like big splash that you create that's huge this huge tsunami that you bring um, with all the notes and instruments and layers. Yeah, a lot of layers in this one. Yeah. Yeah, and you were actually living with me for a time when I was composing this. So when you're saying at the house, you were at the house when I was composing this. Yeah. Yeah, just this is just layer after layer for this one. So so this song, it's it's a half an hour long, and there's basically three sections to it, each of which about 10 minutes long. And the first section starts out just like a simple, slow you know, chord thing with lots of space and just layer after layer. I think there's like 12 or maybe like 15 layers that get built built up over the course of about 10 minutes. And then it explodes with Danny Hoffman once again on tenor saxophone, hmm. just freaking out. Uh, you know, I just love, mm. I love the way Danny freaks out. Yeah, he's a good freak. Yeah. <laughs> Such a freak. Yeah, and it, it, it takes it Beautiful into a lot freak. of places. I wanted to do kind of like a long-form psychedelic journey. That You know, that's basically what the song is. Yeah. Um, and so I just took my time with this. This one took me about a year to do, this, this wow, song. Wow, that particular song. Huh? Well, well, speaking of which, um, you know, may I ask you a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. Um, how have your uh, experiences with um, substances uh, been... 
a component of your compositions and your musical explorations? Has it influenced your creativity? Uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've taken some psychedelic substances and my mind has been expanded. And, and, you know, sometimes it just takes you somewhere and you experience something outside yourself, something just almost indescribable. Um, but one of the beautiful things about music is that it's so abstract, it's, you can use it to describe things that maybe are otherwise indescribable, you know, a mm-hmm. feeling or a um, just a, a, a gestalt kind of a situation that the only way to describe it is with the the language of music and layering and juxtaposition and tone and, you know, these subtle feelings that you can get out of it. Mm. So has psychedelics been part of your personal journey of, of discovery? Is that important to you in that sense? Yeah, you know, for me, it's an every once in a while uh-huh. thing. Uh-huh. And sometimes I'll come back from the mountain with a new way of looking at things, new inspirations. Okay. Um, or maybe just a newfound enthusiasm for life, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, I happen to know that there's a, a, a beautiful little melody that you play on the guitar that I've always loved, and I found out that that melody came during such yes. an experience. Yes, And I'm wondering if uh-huh. maybe that would be something you wouldn't mind sharing. Yeah, okay. Yeah? Do, you have, do you have a pick? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, because that, that, that particular melody, every time I hear it, it totally sends me into a completely different mindset. Yeah, I love it's it It's very powerful. It, it puts me into a meditative state the second I hear it. We get a live performance here, folks. Yeah. that every time you play that i feel my heart opening me too it's like a a desire to cry in love like a loving cry i i when i hear that oliver i i I feel like um there's hope and wonder again wow yeah thank you yeah well you're probably picking up on some of you know my my state that i go into with that song, yeah, that's. I like to say that the desert taught me that song. Mm. I was out in the Mojave Desert, and you know, the the song just came to me, and it, it was it was like it almost felt like a divine message. You know, I don't know if you you guys have ever been in that state yes. of mind. Yes, but um, yeah, and so whenever I need to get back to that connection with the divine or my inner self, uh, this song has become my mantra, and I. I sing it to myself all the time, just whenever I need to be reminded of of that feeling, you know, that connection. Hmm. Well, that makes sense because that's I feel that when you when you play that, it's just 
Yeah. Um, sometimes it gives me goosebumps, and other times it um, just makes me want to just close my eyes and be still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right on. That's cool. Yeah. yeah it's, it's special. It's very simple. You know, I don't. I don't even really feel like I wrote that song. I just sort of discovered it. Mm. Um, it was gifted to me by mm. the universe. The song "Expansive Universe." It's interesting because when I've been hearing this song, because you know, again, it's a half an hour song, right? So, um, you were talking about it being a, a little bit of like a psychedelic journey, and um, I sort of find myself telling my own story about it oh yeah and i haven't heard your i you know i i didn't know what what your story is in this song and so like every time i hear it i i almost feel like i'm telling myself a story about it it's and like, like some divine drama is going on well, yeah. for, for me i i feel like um uh and and this is you know probably totally wrong right <laughs> but i feel like um it starts with the big bang you know, and stuff is flying through, you know, the, the, the creation of the universe, right? Yeah. And then when things get really crazy, and like there's there's Danny going nuts on the saxophone, yeah. I feel it's like the primordial soup and chemistry is happening and molecules are forming and all this stuff. And all of a sudden it settles down. And then the, the tambura comes in and it's the beginning of the growth of life. You know, and that's the story I tell myself when I hear it. Am I totally wrong? That's actually a pretty good story. Is it that, pretty yeah. good? That's not the same story as my story. But yeah, I yeah. like I like that story. All that's, right, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, so I'm picking I'm, up what you're putting down there, Satch. Yeah, I'm always telling myself crazy stories. Yeah, so uh, yeah, if you ever feel like using my story, it's yours. Go for it. Yeah. And what about you? <laughs> Do you have a story too, Carlos? No, just that it was a, a divine drama, much much like uh, uh, Satch. I think we have a, a similar uh, mental background from which we hear things. So uh, it was very similar to what you said there, Satch. Uh, yeah. Just a huge cosmic kind of divine drama going on, uh, you know, mm-hmm. on the scale of like a Wagnerian, you know, universe, just powerful, but wow. with, you know, obviously mm-hmm. Indian themes because of the music. You know, yeah, yeah no. and I'm using the tambura, which which I got from your mother, Carlos. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for those mm-hmm. of you who don't know, a tambura is an Indian drone instrument. It's sort of like the little sister of the sitar. So it has that twang, but you know it doesn't. You can't change the notes. It's just a drone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that instrument was from the Ali Akbar Khan School of Music. So Ali Akbar Khan has uh, played that instrument, to my understanding. That's cool. I feel very honored that it is now in my safekeeping. Yeah. Now, are you going to tell us the real story behind the song? Like it's it's like based on Wall Street or something, and we're totally off. Um, you know what we should do is we should uh, invite our listeners to tell us their story. Hey, that's a great idea. So yeah, so we're going to end with the song, and it's just going to play out. It'll it'll be a half an hour long. So you know, go about your day. You don't have to listen to the whole thing if you don't want to. But if you choose to listen. Did you do a Facebook post where people can post their comments? Or yeah, we we love to yeah. hear from you. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll, when we post this, you can post it in the comments. Uh, you, you can send us a, a message uh, directly through the Facebook group, and you can send us an email directly through our website, which is just uh, www dot com. Uh, you can hit the contact button, and you can send us a message. We'd love to it. Maybe maybe we'll read it sometime if it's a good enough story. Yeah, yeah. It'd be fun to share. You know, this is a great song to just lay flat on the floor and close your eyes and turn on the music and just zone out and yes. have a meditative experience. You can imagine that you're with uh, uh, Oliver and Satch and I uh, on, on the on the couch or laying on the ground with a cup of tea and some candles lit and just let it rip. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that tuba player is not bad either on that on that song. Oh yeah, Satch, yeah. Satch, you're on this in, in the middle section. Yeah, for there's yeah there's a section with you in it, like a like a four or five minute section with yeah. tablets. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, here we go. Here we go. All right, goodbye everybody. Bon voyage. Adios. Sayonara. Zai Chen. <laughs>